Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 76 of the Snyder Cut. I am your new plusified host, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider, and we've got a jam-packed show for you today, so let's dive right in. Today is the big day. It is March 18th, which means that the Snyder Cut, Zack Snyder's Justice League, is now available to stream on HBO Max. Oh my God! Uh, I finished it over the weekend. Um, I had to watch in a couple parts. Obviously, this is a four-hour movie. You know, this is uh, and and it's it's a bit bloated. I mean, movies aren't supposed to be four hours. You know, like a four-hour cut. You know, like what did anything get left on the on the cutting room floor? Did he just cram everything in there? It's it's a lot. It's a big commitment, and uh, I might recommend watching it in maybe two two-hour chunks. However, I liked it. I've been bashing this movie for two years. I never really understand why Warner Brothers would go back, you know, to, to let him finish this, to, to sink $70 million more into a failed venture. I mean, the, the movie was, I thought it was irredeemable. I thought it was absolute garbage. Um, but as it turns out, a lot of that was Joss Whedon's doing because this cut while it still has some problems and some big problems, including a villain problem. I mean, I just don't think it's interesting to fight CG villains. So Steppenwolf, Darkseid, doesn't matter who it is. It wasn't particularly engaging. However, the the movie's good. Like, for a four-hour movie, it was worth the investment that I put into it. Like, because I, I, I could have just stopped. I watched, I think the first chunk was like 76 minutes. And I, you know, I, I could have just been like, okay, you know, I, I, I get it. But I, I liked what I saw in those 70, 76 minutes. So I did uh, finish it. And I'm glad that I stuck with it. Um, I think it really showed what Zach was going for and, and that Warner Brothers was on the right track with this. Uh, now, it's not like, you know, um, the, the suicide, the death of uh, Autumn Snyder was like the thing that just derailed this movie, right? Like... I, I do think that there is a lot of truth in the the rumors that uh, that Zack Snyder was in fact fired before that even happened, um, or that that he was you know off the project or going to be supervised by another filmmaker or whatever. Like you know, Warner Brothers was not happy with the job that he was doing. Um, maybe he had his head in in, in other places. Maybe you know, I, I I don't want to speculate as to you know what actually happened there because I've heard it from people whether it's you know Frosty or Josh Dickey who, who wrote something um you know I think it's definitely been out there that Zach was either fired or in danger of, of, uh, of you know serious danger of being fired um well before his daughter passed and that you know and, and this isn't me saying this you know that other people said that that, that the daughter's death was, was used as a, as a smoke screen of sorts I, I don't want to be um so cynical particularly uh, with regards to, you know, the passing of, of a teenage girl, or I'm, I'm not exactly sure how old she was. But, um, but when I saw that four autumn credit come up at, at the end of this movie, I did tear up. And, and it really, it kind of just emphasized that like these movies take years, and they take a lot out of the people who make them, you know, it's, I mean, yeah, an actor can show up on set and read a few lines and like, they're not maybe giving all of themselves to the project. But when you're the director, like this is a, a huge ship that you've got to steer for not one, not two, but maybe, you know, three plus years. And in this case, it's probably been longer. Um, 
I really liked, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I talked about this on, on the new Twitter feed, which we're going to talk about in a second, but uh, I really liked Ray Fisher. Like I, I understand why this guy has beef because it does seem like this performance was almost stolen from him. It, it was robbed. Um, now, you know, th- them's the breaks in Hollywood. A lot of people do great work. Look at Adrian Brody, who we're going to talk about later in the show, and in the thin red line, who shows up to the premiere of that Terrence Malick movie thinking he's the lead, and he's, like, barely in it. Uh, I, I think a lot of that just has to do with your your stature in the industry. And, and when Ray Fisher signed on to do this movie, he didn't have any. Like, he was a new guy off, off of the stage, you know, who was famous for playing Muhammad Ali. So, you know... I, He's leveled a lot of incendiary charges against Joss Whedon and Warner Brothers executives. Uh, and I think that there's some, some racial connotation to, to those charges that, that, you know, my part was chopped down because I'm, I'm a black guy or whatever it is. I, I, I don't believe that that's the case. I, I do think that his role got chopped down because A, Ray Fisher is not Ben Affleck or, or Gal Gadot, um, you know, or even Henry Cavill. And, uh, and, B, Cyborg is not Batman, Superman, or Wonder Woman. Like, you know, he's a, a tertiary character. But, you know, seeing him in this Snyder Cut, like, he may very well be the most important character. The, the guy's is talented. There's a reason that he came off, that, that he even got the part of Muhammad Ali to start with on stage and, and did what he did with that uh, role. And, and you know, th- that he managed to get discovered and land this part in Justice League. Like, th- this guy is talented. You know, I, I still don't know how much he's going to be working on, on movies going forward. I do think that he really did himself a disservice with, with uh, you know, the, the war of words that, that has gone down between him and, and Warner Brothers. And he's still hammering it home with Walter Hamada, you know, but it definitely helped me understand his perspective um, because he does genuinely good work here. Uh, you know, I, I thought Ezra Miller was like my favorite part of the original Justice League, but those flash scenes, and he's even better in this, you know, like I, I really like the humor that he brings to this movie, which is already kind of dark and, and dour and, and a little depressing. Um, I love the big scene in this, you know, uh, spoiler alert or whatever. Uh, I'm sure anybody watching this is, is already familiar with it, but um, you know, when, when the flash has to save Iris West, and if in like from like this big car accident, I thought it was a very, very cool sequence. There was a lot of stuff in this movie that I liked. I liked the Amazon warriors. Um, I liked, you know, some, some of like the evil Superman stuff. Um, yeah, I just think it, 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 it added a lot in terms of like character motivations and like they got rid of all like that stupid, the Russia stuff that's gone. The epilogue is still a mess, you know, when he, it's just unnecessary to bring in Jared Leto's Joker. And, and I get, you know, that may be just an example of, we got to give them something that they haven't seen before the fans, something that wasn't in that original cut. So let's add the Joker. Let's add Martian Manhunter, which is like a little two second uh, uh, cameo appearance, basically. It's, it's really not much more than that. Um, but, but I understand that for marketing purposes, you want to have those kinds of additions, right? Um, what else? I mean, you know, the, the score is, is still really, really good. Uh, I, I just like the, the Snyder aesthetic more than the Joss Whedon aesthetic. I, I was not like, you know, the Avengers I think is, is a good movie. I think I'd be a real asshole to say that it's not, but like Avengers age of Ultron was like un- unwatchable. Um, and I'm not a fan of like Whedon's TV stuff, Buffy, 
Serenity Firefly, whatever it is, that that just wasn't me. Um, whereas Snyder, you know, I, I don't love 300, but I can appreciate what that movie does. I, I like Dawn of the Dead. I love Watchmen. Um, so I just, I vibe with him a bit more. Uh, and, and I really do. I'm glad, even though I don't like how they went about it. And I think it sets a, a bad precedent that, that fans just can, can demand movies like that's not the way that it should be uh i i think we have to let artists make what they want to make when they want to make it and, and you know then we react i don't think we can be art on demand is a, is a dangerous scary thing for me but um you have to you have to give those fans credit not just for the work that they did with suicide prevention and all that and i know that they've been incredibly toxic online i'm sure I, you know I've taken shit and, and so have my, my colleagues at Collider offered just giving our honest opinions on things. But I am glad in the end that Zack Snyder got a chance to make this because it did redeem him to some extent in my eyes. I don't think, I know people are like, oh, look at look at the critic assessment. It's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes at one point. Of course, there's going to be a sequel. Like, I don't know that there's going to be a, a, a direct sequel to this. This feels like a, a one-off to me. Um, yeah, it was an expensive gamble at 70 million for HBO Max, but at the same time, like, what else are you going to spend that money on? You know, like, if you want to drive eyeballs to this platform, which it desperately needs, you know, you know, you might as well appeal to fans who are going to follow you anywhere. Um, so probably a, 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 not a, not a terrible business decision from, from HBO Max to, to get this out there. Uh, and, you know, maybe it inspires other filmmakers to go back and, and redo their movies. Not that I want to see David Ayer's Suicide Squad cut. Uh, God, that was that was pretty terrible, too. But then again, if, if he does do it, uh, I will give that cut another watch because, yeah, I thought that movie looked amazing. That was like the trailer of the year. And I was just so disappointed by the film. So I don't you know who is is it, is it Warner Brothers doing the meddling like did, I don't know what, what what was going on at this period in the DCEU over at Warner Brothers. Um, but I, I do think that there's been some some course correction. So yeah, Snyder Cut, I gotta give it a thumbs up. Not, you know, not perfect, not my favorite comic book movie or anything like that, but I never thought that something like this would be possible after watching that initial movie. Like I, I just didn't think that there was, that that, that project could be salvaged. Uh, and I stand by everything I said as far as like this cut did not exist, you know, two, three, four years ago, whatever it was. Like, this is something that, I mean, $70 million is no joke. <laughs> that, that, is a, that is almost a new movie. So uh, I, I don't understand the, the people who said, well, you guys didn't know what you were talking about to start with. Like, yeah, we, I think pretty sure we did. Um, now on the flip side of the comic book wars, which is kind of uh, cruel that, that uh, Marvel decided to do this, but they are releasing Falcon and the Winter Soldier this weekend, I believe. Um, and I had the chance to watch the first episode the other night. It was like one in the morning or something. My, my internet was like in and out. Uh, but but I, I finally got it going for just 48 minute stretch. That is, uh, I think, the running time for the first episode. And I can tell I'm going to like this show. I, you know, it's not that I didn't like WandaVision. I just didn't care. I, I watched two episodes of WandaVision and that was enough for me. It's not that I'm never going to finish it. I might go back because we'll see how much of WandaVision I need to know for Falcon and Winter Soldier. But this seems like something I will actually tune in for each week. Uh, if, you know, if just to see my boy, Anthony Mackie. 
Um, now him and Bucky Barnes don't, I don't think that they really link up in, in this first episode, if I'm not mistaken, which is like kind of a rope-a-dope because that's the whole reason, like I thought that's what the show was. It was this buddy action comedy, like a lethal weapon, but you know, you, you got to establish where these guys are you know, in the MCU after the blip or whatever. I don't know all the fucking terms, guys. Um, but, you know, there, there's some really cool action sequences here. Starts off with a big one with uh, Anthony, Malky, uh, Anthony Mackie's Falcon. And we, th- we we meet Red Wing. Is that, was that in other Marvel movies? I don't even know, but it's his little like robo sidekick. Um yeah, Bucky's like in therapy. There's like a therapy scene that kind of drags on a little bit too long. He's been having some nightmares. Um, and then, you know, by the end of it, we, we are introduced to... Mm, never mind. I'll leave, I'll, leave, I'll leave some surprises. I don't, I don't want to say too much. Uh, but I liked it. I liked it. And it's very, very different uh, than WandaVision. Much more kind of straightforward. And I think that that you know, Disney Plus will ultimately benefit from that. I mean, I mean, WandaVision was very cool from what I saw. It was a- ambitious, but I don't think it was like, you know, this is right in the sweet spot for, for Marvel fans, whereas I think Falcon and Winter Soldier is. All right, the Oscar nominations came out on Monday. That was obviously a big deal. If you haven't seen the latest episode of For Your Consideration, track that down over on the Collider Extras YouTube channel. Uh, you know, Collider, the old Collider video. Um, I was happy with everything, although, you know, it was pretty predictable, right? Like we were talking about like 12 to 14 movies and and we knew that seven to nine of them were going to get slots. So yeah, there were two or three or four movies that, that didn't make the cut that, that felt snubbed, but everything else was, was fairly predictable. I almost wish that I had actually done rather than a, if I had a ballot feature on, on my blog, the insider.blogspot.com, I kind of wish I had done like formal predictions because I, I think I would have gotten them pretty, pretty close. Uh, like Glenn Close. I had a feeling that she was going to get in there. Uh, yeah, over like the Helena Zengel thing. Like you don't nominate mute 12-year-olds. Come on. <laughs> that's that's not how that works. Um, Oscar nominations. I'm not surprised that Mank led the field, right? Like everybody kind of saw that coming. I don't really know. I don't think Mank's going to win much. Maybe it wins one for like production design or costume design or something, but it's not going to win any of the, the major awards. And I, and I feel fairly comfortable saying the same about the trial of the Chicago 7. I, I do think that in some ways Netflix is still almost operating like it's the old Academy and, and they're lining up these kind of traditional Oscar bait movies. And I don't think that these movies have a chance of breaking through. I do think it's stuff like Moonlight, Parasite that, that, that will break through. And so David Poland actually wrote a great um, column this week, I thought about the, the Oscar nominations and how, you know, Mank and Trout, Chicago 7 were always seen as like the number one and number two internally. But he thinks, you know, if Netflix really wants to win Best Picture, it's not going to be there for their number one movie internally. Uh, and, I, and I think he's very, very right about that. Um, you know, I do, I do feel bad for One Night in Miami and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I, I don't think that either one of those movies was like a shoe-in for a nomination. But at the same time, I thought both were clearly among like the top eight or nine like awards contenders this year. Um, I do think it, I don't think that it has to do with, you know, 
the casts are being black or the filmmakers being black. I, I think that it is really just about these are stage adaptations, you know, like the words were already kind of there. Um, and, you know, the movies, they feel, I don't know that small is the right word, but, you know, One Night in Miami is mostly a movie set just like four guys talking in a hotel room. Like that's going to be a, a tough Oscar sell no matter what. Um, just like uh, Mass, that Sundance movie about the, the school shooting, the parents of the shooter and the, the parents of a victim. Like, I hope that's not being positioned as like a big awards contender because I, I think that that stuff is hard. Or what was another one? Uh, people just talking in a room like... Um, uh, wasn't it a Roman Polanski movie with uh, with Kate Winslet and and you know the, the the parents talking? I forget what the hell it was called. It wasn't good. Um, yeah, I, I think that's all. Like that's just what worked against them. I, I, I don't want to chalk it up to like any anything racial. I mean, Regina Regina King is like one of the most beloved people in this industry at the moment. I do think that she did a really really good job, um, but. You know, frankly, I, I was more of a Ma Rainey's person. So when everybody's talking about One Night in Miami not getting snubbed, like I thought Ma Rainey was a better adaptation. Um, yeah, just just better cast, uh, more engaging and involving just by a little bit. But that, you know, that was the person who I was like, oh, man, George C. Wolf, he kind of got robbed or uh, or really Darius Smarter. I mean, you know, knowing how much I love Sound of Metal. I, and I watched uh, Another Round this week. I caught up with that. And I liked Another Round. It was good. But best director nomination for that? 20 minutes in the movie. A sixth of the running time is people just dancing, drunk people dancing. Uh, I, I really, I, you know, I had I had a tough time stomaching that nomination after seeing that movie, knowing the people who didn't make the cut, like Regina and, and Darius Marder. Um, but yeah, I was thrilled to see The Sound of Metal represented so well with, with Riz and, and Paul Rassi. And uh, that's really all I cared about. You know, Th those are the guys that, that I'm rooting for. I think uh, Best Actress is going to be a real showdown. I I'm leaning towards Carrie Mulligan at the moment, but I do think Frances McDormand did incredible work in Nomadland. There seems to be a bit of a, a, Nomad, backla a Nomadland backlash brewing, um, not just here about the movie or, you know, giving Frances McDormand her third award but abroad with all the Chloe Zhao stuff. Excuse me, went down the wrong pipe. Um, and so, yeah, you know, speaking of awards, I wanted to bring this up too, because, you know, the Golden Globes thing continues, right? That was like the huge thing. And, and you know, we had 150 publicity houses writing a letter to the HFPA, you know, saying we want to see this, this, and this. And I mean, it feels like, you know, Tina Chen, the CEO of Time's Up, like she's just like, the god of, of, of Hollywood now, like if you don't have Time's Up on board, uh, then, then you're just doomed, right? Um, they, they get to dictate everything. Um, but like, you know, the thing about these Golden Globe publicist letters, and, and listen, I am friendly with a lot of the publicists who signed this letter. Uh, I, I think that they are, there is a lot of good people, you know, but a couple of things. How many of these PR houses even have 13% black stabs themselves? Not a lot. Believe me, a lot of these places are lily white, um, you know, or, or the, you know, the, the, the black staffers work in the diversity and inclusion department. Like, I, I, I just, it's, I don't like hypocrites. Um, and, and this letter felt a little hypocritical. 
from the publicity community, knowing how kind of white it is. You know, meanwhile, all these publicists knew. Like, I don't understand how it took an LA Times article to say, hey, you know, by, by the way, everyone that your talent has been doing interviews with for the last few years, they're all white people. Like, I'm pretty sure the publicists knew this and they did it anyways. The same reason that they knew that, you know, that there were no black voters and then still had their clients go on and, and present it at the Golden Globes anyways, because it's about money. It's about FaceTime in the middle of prime time on, on network television. Like, it, you know, that would have been a much braver, bolder stance to me if publicists had literally pulled their clients off the telecast and said, like, there's just, there's no consequence. There's really no consequences to this stuff. Um, so the, so what the golden globes are going to now add what 13 black voters. And, and again, keep in mind, these are supposedly cause, cause you know that these voters are going to be created by publicists. Okay. This is a hundred percent what's going to happen. These voters will be created by publicists and then they will feel indebted to these publicists and who knows if they're going to do what these publicists want next year. But this is, this is what's going on. How many black entertainment journalists are there who A, live in Los Angeles, okay? B, want to be part of the HFBA. C, write for international outlets. Like that is a very rare, like that's a very tight little narrow sliver of people. Like that's a niche. Um, I mean, how many, I just, I, I don't understand how many people are writing for internet. It, like, it's not even on the HFPA. It's on the editors of the international outlets to hire black stringers, writers, whatever it is. And then it's on those people to choose to live in Los Angeles. Like, what is this living in Los Angeles requirement of being in the HFPA? It doesn't really make any sense. Is it just so they can all travel as a herd to studios and press conferences and, and, and presentations and stuff? Like, it is not supposed to be your full-time job even. Like, the, the, some of these people in the HFPA, they write like a piece a month, but, but they don't even have to get other jobs because of all the payola that they're getting from the studios. Um, I just think that the HFPA is a super crooked organization that cannot be fixed, even with 13, you know, black, black, new black voters. It is rotten uh, to the core. And I, I really like someone on my Twitter feed. I, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't give them credit. But they said, why are we not to, like, okay, this, this group is only relevant because it has history and a TV deal, right? So why is NBC, give, give the TV deal to somebody else, you know? Like, give it to, make it the Guild Awards. Like, why are we have the SAG, the PGA, the DGA Award? Like, just fucking combine everybody, get all the guilds together. And, and that huge, that $50 million payment that NBC makes to the Golden Globes to air its show, that $50 million can now be spread over the guild community. It just makes so much sense. Why are, why, like, why is Hollywood playing ball with this corrupt organization? Like, they had their chance. They had their time. They fucking blew it. Let's move on. It's just crazy. Okay, now we'll talk about the new plus on the block, which is my Twitter feed in Snyder Plus. Uh, this is something that I had been planning for a while. I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast before, but I'm like, geez, for think about how many people, not just me for the last 10 plus years, but how many people are just sitting there 
all day long, tap, 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 tap into Twitter. What does it get them? You know, okay, maybe it gets them subscribers or, or more readers for their own private blogs or their Patreons or their YouTube channels or whatever. But like, what happens if you don't have any of that stuff? I, I had 15 subscribers to my YouTube channel. I, I didn't upload anything in years, who cares? I didn't have a Patreon. I have a full-time job. I'm a salaried employee. I'm actually not an employee, which is why I'm allowed to, to basically do this. But um, I'm an independent contractor. But it's like, okay, I've been giving away my, my thoughts on movies, my opinions, reviews, breaking news, all this stuff on my Twitter feed for free. And I've leveled off at, you know, 33.6 thousand followers or whatever. It really had not grown in, in months ever since I basically took the break, um, you know, last summer. Like, I don't know that people, there were some people who like either stopped following me or, I don't know what it was, um, but I really didn't see myself gaining any followers the last uh, few months. And so, okay, I, I've reached the ceiling. I've sort of plateaued with, with the Insnider uh, and I can either just keep giving it away or, and like, you know, I've thought about starting a newsletter or things to that effect. But I was like, you know what? I know what I'm doing on Twitter. And I like the immediacy of Twitter. And I like that people are on Twitter all day long. You don't have to go to Patreon. You don't have to look for the email to pop up. Like if you're just on Twitter all day looking at the feed, well, what if there's a way that I, you know, like in my head, it's like, okay, well, if you're following me, then I must enhance your experience of this platform, right? Like otherwise, if I detracted from that experience, you wouldn't follow me. So if I'm enhancing your experience, how much are people willing to pay for that enhancement? And what can I do to make my content better rather than just sort of the same content it's been for the last 10 years? You know, I, I want to create uh, a community, right? I mean, that's what, you know, Christian does with the Schmoes, Schmodown. I mean, you know, Outlaw Nation or Perry's channel or Roxy, Live at the Roxy. Like all these people have sort of, uh, you know, communities, fans who tune in just for them. So how, how can I build something like that without having to go the Patreon route, you know, and, and this and that. So I created this Insider Plus Twitter account a couple weeks ago and, and I knew, I knew I was going to get shit for it. I knew I was going to be the laughing stock of the internet, which is why I didn't pull the trigger two, three weeks ago or months ago or years ago. I was terrified. I didn't want to do it. And then on Sunday, I was sitting on the couch with my dad and his girlfriend, and I got the email from Warner Brothers that said, you know, we're, we're lifting the embargo on Zack Snyder's Justice League a day early. You're, you're free to post now. And I was like, you know what? I'm just tired of like sitting around, like waiting for myself to fucking do it. Like, I'm just going to do it. I didn't think about it. Five minutes before Insider Plus launched, I had no idea it was launching in five minutes. Okay. That, that's a promise. I had no clue Sunday was the day I was going to hit the button on this thing. I didn't think about pricing, didn't think about content, didn't think about anything. I just said, you know what? Here it is. I'm doing it. Uh, and so far, it's worked out pretty good. I mean, do I have only 20 followers? Yeah. But at 20 bucks a pop, that's 400 bucks that I am now made for tweeting that I didn't, it's more, 400 more dollars than I made in the last decade. And no one is forcing anyone to follow. Like I'm still, I'm going to wean myself off the main Twitter feed, but I still need the main Twitter feed to communicate certain stories to promote my work and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, basically what it is, is for 20 bucks a year, not a month, a year, which breaks down to less than $2 a month, 
which I think is fair. I think I'm worthy of six quarters a month. I think I, I think I bring that to the table. Uh, you know, you're getting the Insider feed, but then you're getting the bonus content, right, on Insider Plus. And, and you know, it's all in the same timeline. Um, you know, what do I hope to to do with this? I'd love to to break, you know, the breaking news thing is tough because obviously I'm being paid by Collider a, a, a handsome fee. But at the same time, there are things that Collider isn't interested in sometimes or that I can't report for Collider or you basically, you know, it, it takes 20 minutes nowadays to get a story up on Collider anyways, with all the button, the bells and whistles I got to put on a story, the related tags, the, the photo tagging, the, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Collider is not built for speed and that's fine. You know, that's their prerogative, right? But I am built for speed and I'm going to use that speed on Twitter. You know, that th that is so, you know, when Venom 2 gets a new release date, like, yeah, I say, okay, I'm jumping on the story, guys. But I have five, the same way that I would on the Insnider, right? Uh, breaking, you know, Venom 2 coming out this day, story coming. I'm going to do that on Insnider Plus now for the people who are actually paying me for that speed, for that information. And I did get it up before any of the trades yesterday. So if you followed Insnider Plus, you knew Venom 2 was, was blinking from that fast nine, you know, showdown before anyone else, um, and that and that is the goal. Uh, there's a lot more I want to do with that. I want to have more of a conversation with my readers. Like I know all 20 people by name who are signed up for for this account. Did I know all my Twitter followers before all 33,000 of them? No. And frankly, I would rather write and create content for 20 paid customers than for 30,000 who don't really want to be there, who don't really care about me. And it, it was really, I will say, I, 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 like I said, I knew I was going to get shit for it and I was going to be like the laughing stock of the, of the internet. I was pretty surprised by some of the um, responses, which were just super negative. I don't know if I got a death threat. Uh, I may have gotten a death threat, uh, not one that I took seriously. Um, you know, I got, you know, people being like, oh, you know, you're so arrogant. You're such a narcissist. You're, you're giving it a, a bad name. Like I'm just a guy who's creating a new Twitter account and you can pay for it or not. I don't, I don't care. You know, like I, no one's forcing you to sign up for this. So it's like, would you, would you go out to like, uh, you know, two 10 year old girls in their lemonade stand out on the street and be like, wow, you guys are stupid. I've got Newman's own lemonade in my fridge. Like, what are you a moron? Like, so think about how all the stupid shit that people pay for and the people who have no expertise in this industry and talking about movies. Why? Because I watch a lot of movies. So that makes me an expert. They're not experts on movies. They're not experts on the industry. So at least I'm creating, I'm providing something that a lot of people that, that you're paying for cannot provide and do not provide. That doesn't mean that these, that those people have nothing to offer. You know, I love going on my friends, YouTube shows, but like when I see people paying whether it's five bucks, 10 bucks, a hundred bucks to get a question read on a live stream, right? On a stream yard, you're telling me that that is worth more than a year's worth of tweets and, and access to my Twitter feed. That's insane. That's obviously absurd. So, you know, people who are, you know, here's 50, $60 a year for a newsletter, but like, what's the newsletter really telling me is, is an essential thing. No, it's not. Um, and, and again, my, my Twitter feed is not essential either, but it, it is a fun bonus thing. And I, and I think that I'm going to seriously work hard over the next 362 more days or whatever it is to deliver an experience uh, that is worth paying for. 
Um, and it has forced me to get organized. You know, I got to keep records now because I got to declare this tax income. I got to, you know, know when your your one year anniversary is, uh, all that kind of stuff. But uh, I think it's going to be. It's it, it's not radical. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but at the same time, I don't know anyone else who is doing this. And I bet that there are a lot of writers out there who are saying who are looking at those 20 followers of mine and saying, "Geez." You know, I have such a bigger, you know, fan base than Jeff Snyder. It's much more engaged than his. Why am I not doing this? You know, how, how can I monetize my brand, my, my Twitter feed? How, you know, uh, I think that a lot of the responses that I got were from um, jealous people who, who were afraid to do this themselves. Uh, I got, I saw people digging up old tweets like, oh, you know, I love that. I love that move. Like, we're going to dig into, you know, the worst tweets that you've ever had. And like, oh, is this the kind of stuff we're going to be getting? Or, or the people who, when I tweet from the normal account are like, oh, that, that's a, that should have been a premium tweet in Snyder. How are you not charging people for this? Like, if you want to be a fucking asshole and a sarcastic clown about a guy who's like trying to start a new venture uh, to put a little like side money in his pocket um, because I'm not compensated the way that I should be or the way that people in, of my experience and position are uh you know by all means but you're gonna get blocked i'm not gonna have any fucking patience for you and basically you can kiss my fucking ass um yeah i mean what can i say like there's just i'm the best i'm the best i'm the best fucking twitter feed around what do you want me to say okay mike fleming boris kit justin crow i will tell them they are they are better reporters than i am they have better sources but as far as a, a social media experience like, give me a break. I'm not just talking about like the scoopers. But I'm talking about like everybody, the, the, the uh, people's opinion. Like it's just fucking chattering noise. So I, I think my Twitter feed is worth paying for. And I think, uh, and I hope that the people who embarked on this journey with me feel the same way. And if they don't, then, you know, after a year, they don't have to re-up their subscription and they lost 20 bucks. It's not anything to cry about. Um, so thank you to everyone who did join me and anyone who's considering joining me after this podcast. All right, let's talk about some other news because geez, we are uh, already like spent a lot of time on stuff. All right, Paradigm selling off its music business. This is not good for Paradigm considering music, its music division was obviously the big, you know, uh, big part of its allure um yeah they sold the, the, the business off to casey wasserman who knows i think if they said they're going to try to find strategic partners for its talent and, and lit division either way uh not 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 good uh the, the writing on the wall is not good for paradigm uh chris evans you know justin uh did that story on deadline a couple i don't know if it was like a couple months ago or whatever saying chris evans was, was in talks to return the mcu now it's falcon and winter soldier time a lot of captain america talk in the air and so kevin feige did an interview with like ew or, or someone saying you know basically like poo-pooing that, that report or being but like he didn't he didn't even deny it himself that's the thing you got to read this thing closely kevin doesn't come out and say no he says well you know you heard it from the man himself chris evans like okay i don't want to get too much into like what i know on this story but i'm pretty sure kevin's full of shit <laughs> pretty sure chris evans is full of shit and i'm pretty sure we'll be seeing chris evans again in the mcu um 
yeah, I, I just, you know, the, the things, the quotes that, you know, that people pick up, it could be Friday, right? The day's Friday. And Chris Evans says today's Thursday. People will run. Actually, today's Thursday because Chris Evans said it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, of course, these actors are going to deny this stuff. Of course, Kevin Feige is not going to get ahead of himself. But uh, like I said in our company Slack yesterday, um, when we were thinking about doing this, I trust Justin Kroll 10 times out of 10 over Kevin Feige. Sorry, Kevin. Like, all due respect. What, like, this is just re reporting 101. What, what do you want me to say? tell you? Um, now, yesterday, speaking of Chris Evans, this is a story that we, we opted not to report because it got denied. But uh, it's something to keep an eye on. So that's the way I'm going to present it here on this podcast. Which, by the way, you know, if you're watching the video podcast, you're only going to get that on Insider Plus. Uh, we've decided to just do audio only on, on Collider. So if you if you like this video version of the podcast, you will have to uh, subscribe to Insider Plus. <coughs> okay, so Chris Evans, he's got Gray Man and just started shooting, Ryan Gosling, the Russos directing, etc. Yesterday, we got sent a screenshot from Palak Patel's Instagram account. Uh, Palak Patel runs uh, the the Russo brothers company, right? Isn't doesn't he? Um, and so, does he? Right? Does yeah? Does he run the company or is he at Netflix? I, for, I even forget where where Palak is, but you know he's definitely involved. He's an executive producer on the fucking Gray Man. Anyways, he went on Instagram and he said uh, that that Gray Man was going to be out this Christmas. And so we nearly did a story just based on that. I mean, this is the executive producer of the film saying, hey, the movie's coming out at, at Christmas time. Um, you know, ran it up the flagpole at, at Netflix and, and uh, you know, they, they denied it, which is, you know, I, I do think that that would be a very ambitious release date for, for a movie like this. That's going to be like 200 million plus. Like, you know, normally that, that, that takes like a year, year and a half, something like that. Uh, then again, you know, it's Netflix. They don't need a year-long marketing campaign. That's the kind of beauty of it is that they can just, once a movie's done, they can say, hey, this movie's coming out in three weeks. Here's a trailer. Stay tuned. Um, I think this would kind of be a perfect Christmas release for Netflix, obviously. I, I don't know when they're planning to release Red Notice, if that's more of like a summer movie thing that they're doing or if that's going to be their, their Christmas anchor. Um yeah, like I said, I'd be surprised if the movie was finished by then, but I also think it's possible, you know, since this is the Russos. I mean, if you do a four-month shoot, right, and then four months of post, you could have it done by Thanksgiving, early December, you know, in time for a, a Christmas release. But again, you know, this got denied by Netflix, so, so we're not running anything. Take this with a grain of salt. Don't don't run it as, as a rumor. Um because when a, when a streamer like that is willing to just say, no, this isn't true, then you don't run. That, like, that is what I've learned. Um, if there was any like, oh, well, maybe, or we're aiming for that day, we're shooting for it, we're planning for it, maybe we would have run it. But it was a pretty definitive no that it's not going to be ready in time. So, uh, so we'll see. Maybe, maybe Palak Patel was just mistaken. Maybe he got ahead of himself um comic book stuff we talked about you know venom 2 blinking that moved three months from from this june to september uh and and that was just like an inevitability once universal parked f9 on that same date like you know i know venom 2 was very very or venom was very successful making 850 million worldwide but you don't gamble on on that sequel 
I, I mean, it's only going to benefit from from more time on the shelf because more and more people will have been vaccinated by September. Um, so I understand wanting to have been first out of the gate or, you know, come a month later, you know, on the heels of F9. But once F9 moved there, it was like, OK, let's not fuck around with this. Move it to September. It's still going to be crowded in September. I mean, it's got like. I'm not too worried about James Wan's malignant because I haven't heard the greatest of things about that. That comes out the week before, but there's like actual competition the following week. I think it's like Dear Evan Hansen. And then two weeks later, it's Dune. And, and once Dune comes in, I mean, Dune could totally flop too. Don't get me wrong. But uh, basically Venom 2 is going to have two weeks in theaters before Dune comes in. Uh, and, and you can count on a, on a huge marketing blitz for that movie. Ridley Scott announced a World War II series I thought sounded interesting called Roads to Freedom. It's, it's kind of like a, a global perspective of World War II. It's not just the Americans or the Brits, but like, hey, here's France, here's Germany, here are the kids, you know, who, whose dad never came home because he died on the front lines. And, you know, it sounds like a really interesting um, approach to a story, even though it feels like we've sort of done World War II to death. Like, you know, it's just, you know, just another World War II project to add to the heap. Um, this one is Ridley Scott. It is from Stephen Knight. And so, you know, it, it has my attention. Uh, Oscar contenders, you know, announcing like what their next moves are. I thought this was pretty interesting that Carrie Mulligan and Daniel Kaluuya are, are both going to be hosting Saturday Night Live in early April. Now, voting doesn't close until April 20th. So... You know, I don't know if this is a, like a, you know, it is obviously a high profile gig when you're when you're hosting SNL, you know, whether people are staying inside more to watch it on Saturday nights or the clips go viral the next day on Sunday. Like it, it still has some cultural cachet. So I don't know if this is just like a PR stop. And I hope that it's not because I don't want to see SNL being used in that way. as just like another stop on the on the PR tour. Um, but you know, the fact that neither of these people have hosted SNL before, I think that could make it pretty exciting. I'm really excited to see Daniel Kaluuya in particular on SNL. Um, but it's like, also, this is a high wire act that you are live. Uh, if you are not funny, or if this is like a, just a shit episode that could reflect poorly on you. So, you know, Mulligan and Kaluuya are kind of the front runners right now in their respective categories. And I just it seems like they have more to lose than to gain from these appearances. But if they also, if they do a really good job and start, you know, making people laugh, maybe that bolsters their campaign campaigns, you know, um, elsewhere, Stephen Yen, who got a, a nomination becoming the first Asian American actor, I believe for, uh, for up for up for best actor. He is teaming with Ali Wong on a new A24 dramedy that has sparked a bidding war among the, the top streamers, you know, Netflix, Amazon, Apple, and then FX, which may even have the upper hand here because the series hails from, I think it's Lee Sung Jin, a.k.a. Sonny Lee. I was like, Lee Sung, I've never heard of Lee Sung Jin, but like, some, I, I feel like th this doesn't get made with just like a first time nobody writer creator and so i looked him up and was like oh sunny lee i know sunny lee what's that always sunny in philadelphia of course uh, and silicon valley um dave he's been working on i know for fx like he has a history with fx maybe he goes to to the devil he knows so to speak uh, rather than these streamers where things do tend to get kind of lost in the shuffle particularly on on apple which like just doesn't have the subscribers that i think that you know netflix and amazon do um we can just see that kind of anecdotally in the, in the traffic on on collider where it's like yeah i don't know how many people are really 
you know, subscribe to Apple or, or you know, maybe they're, they're free subscribers because they bought a phone or a computer, but how many are going to, you know, pay once that one year free trial is up? Uh, but I love the idea of Stephen Yen and Ali Wong working together, particularly, you know, with, with A24 behind them. So, we'll, you know, we'll see what comes of that. Uh, Colin Trevorrow or Trevorrow. I never really know how to pronounce Colin's name. Um, Colin T. <laughs> Going to be directing War Magician starring Benedict Cumberbatch about a guy who, I don't know, like fought in World War II using magic. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. It sounds kind of weird. Um, but I, I, I don't know. It also sounds interesting. Like imagine the prestige or the illusionist, but like a war movie, uh, and Cumberbatch, I, I, I do kind of like this pairing. I, I like Cumberbatch, um, as, as, like just the idea of him as a magician. And this does kind of sound like a, an interesting project for Colin. Uh, so we'll see how that one comes together. This one sounded good. Dakota Johnson starring in Cooper Rafe's new movie, Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Uh, Cooper Rafe is the direct, writer-director star of Shit House, which I only watched 30 minutes of, and it just didn't grab me, but I also watched it really late at night. It was probably the wrong timing for that. And then by the time I tried to finish the screener, it had expired. Uh, I do I do want to go back and, and catch up with that movie, but his sophomore feature, his follow-up, uh, he's going to be playing like a bar mitzvah DJ, you know, the kind of guy who's got to get everybody up on the dance floor and make sure mom and dad get their money's worth by throwing this epic party. Uh, and she's going to be playing a, a mother. I don't know if she's a single mother or what, but she's got an autistic daughter. I don't know if their paths will cross at a bar mitzvah or, or outside of one. Um, but I, I, I like the idea of the two of them together. Uh, you know, I, I had a big bar mitzvah. I was the oldest so I kind of got the, the big bar mitzvah party and we had uh, this guy, Johnny K, who had a, who was a lot of fun. I mean, he, he's like one of the best in, in New England and he brought some very um, attractive dancers who were a big hit with my 13 year old male friends. Uh, and, and we definitely have many photos of them in, in the album. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just a great time. And uh, I, I can totally see Cooper Rafe playing one of those sort of uh, bar, bar mitzvah DJ guys. I remember Johnny K and this is, you know, we're all 13 year olds. So people might think this is risque, but I remember he went up to one of my friends and he was talking to him and he was like, whoa, he was like, why does your breath smell like his dick? It's like, well, wait, how do you know how, what this 13 year old boy's dick smells like, number one? But it's like, it, it was, it's a good joke. It's, a, it's, it's maybe a little homophobic joke, but hey, that, that's what kids like it when they're 13 years old, right? Um, Borderlands, I guess it's not homophobic, it's just a, a, a gay joke. Uh, Borderlands added the Haley Bennett, uh, the, the actress Haley Bennett. Sorry, lost my train of thought. Borderlands added Haley Bennett. She's going to be playing a new character who has ties to Kate Blanchett's past. Haley Bennett um, kind of came on the scene a few years ago, did some weird movies like Girl on the Train and Magnificent Seven, like movies that were supposed to be studio hits that just did not end up being studio hits. Thanks, thank you for your service with Miles Teller. Not like bad, well, Girl on the Train is bad, but um, I didn't think Magnificent Seven or Thank You for, uh, for Your Service were like bad movies. They just, they didn't really hit. Um, but you know, last year she was in this indie drama slash thriller swallow, and she was really, really impressive. Like this is her front and center. Here's what I can do. Here's what I'm all about. And she was great. 
So I'm glad that she's sort of being rewarded with a, a big, uh, you know, studio action movie, maybe even a franchise title. We'll, we'll see. She also does look a lot like a young Kate Blanchett. Like I would not be surprised if she was playing like a younger sister of sorts or some kind of relative. Uh, Tiffany Haddish going back to Netflix to star in Mystery Girl with McGee uh, at the helm. McGee has really found the, the sweet spot just directing uh, Netflix movies. I don't know that if he even has any like larger ambition. He's just like, eh, they let me do what I want, whatever. Um, the, the, the money's the same. Uh, yeah, she's like a woman who like, she's a street psychic or something. And she has like no memory of herself. So she is mystery girl, uh, whatever. Uh, I, I've heard better ideas, uh, you know, lambied about. Uh, that's not the right word. Bandied about. <laughs> Tiffany has, uh, I've, I've heard better ideas bandied about for her as like comic vehicles, um, but you know, whatever. Tom Hiddleston joining Claire Danes in the Apple series, The Essex, Pro, uh, the Essex Serpent. Jeez, I am all over the place. I gotta take a drink of water. Um, Tom Hiddleston, you know, he's got Loki coming up. He did Night Manager. The, 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 the movie thing hasn't really happened. I, I, he's another guy where it's like, okay, Crimson Peak, Kong Skull Island. These are not good movies at all, bro. So uh, he, he's going back to, to TV with his serpent tail between his legs to some extent. Um, but I do like the sound of this show, him and Claire Danes. Like that's a formidable pairing uh, on, on Apple. Uh, and, an also, and a whole bunch of TV news. Demian Bashir, love Demian Bashir, Oscar-nominated actor. See A Better Life if you have not. He is going to star in Let the Right One In. He's going to be playing the, the young girl's father. Um, quite a few actors uh, cycled through this role, let me tell you. But I'm glad that they landed on, on Demian. It's kind of crazy some of the names that I'd heard bandied about before Demian because he was just clearly su superior, I thought. Um, uh, but I, I am looking forward to that, even though we've seen that story twice now. Um, I think that that could really work as a Showtime series. And, and, I, and I think that the writers have something special, uh, you know, up their sleeves with that one. Here's a TV casting I absolutely loved. Adrian Brody playing Pat Riley in the HBO Lakers series. My goodness, that is, I saw them side by side. I was like, oh my God, yes, sign me up. Sally Field was also added as Jerry Buss's mother. Um... Here's hoping that that show debuts maybe this summer so they can advertise it like during the NBA finals. That's what I would do if I was HBO, try to get a trailer out, you know, during, during the NBA playoffs or something like that. Uh, but that's going to be a fun one. Maya Rudolph announced a new Apple series. She is, you know, just a, a blast. She, I, I always enjoy Maya, Maya Rudolph. doesn't matter whether it's a big part, small part. She just always brings it. So I'm glad she's getting her own show on Apple, even though I know she's, had her own like variety shows and things like that in the past and it hasn't really worked. She just got to find the right format. Uh, Davine joined Randolph, joins The Lost City of D, that Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum movie. David Strathairn in Where the Crawdads Sing. Anthony Boyle joining Masters of the Air, uh, which an eagle-eyed reader told me is being shot by Adam Arkapa, I believe, the cinematogra cinematographer. Um, you know, Masters of the Air, it's it's a big series. It's Carrie Fukunaga, Steven Spielberg, Apple, sort of billed as a sequel to um, Band of Brothers. You know, I, I had heard three names originally, and it was, you know, Austin Butler and uh, Callum Turner and Anthony Boyle. And, and uh, so, so we agreed to hold all three. 
And then I went up to New Hampshire one uh, a couple of weekends ago with my brothers. And naturally, Apple made that Friday, the day that they're announcing, you know, Callum Turner and, um, and Austin Butler. I sent in, you know, the release to Collider and, and no one thought it was important enough to write it up. So it's like, OK, uh, you know, if you guys don't think that this is a big deal, then what am I going to bust my ass to, to, to write about it for? Right. Like so this week when when Apple was ready to announce Anthony Boyle solo they sent me the the release i'm like you know what guys i appreciate it you know you you lived up to your end of the bargain here but we're gonna pass like if this isn't exclusive which it's not i, I would have had to share it just let the other outlets have it because because we don't it's just another tv casting even we're even if we're getting an even break no one knows who this guy is and if they didn't care about the two leads they're not going to care about the third lead so uh you know that, that that's unfortunate because it's like I, I busted my ass to get those names and worked hard to confirm Callum Turner and, and Austin Butler, but you know, the team just didn't care. And that's Collider's prerogative. That's the kind of stuff where, all right, you, you'll end up seeing it on Insider Plus then. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne and Michelle Yeoh joining in uh, the School for Good and Evil, Paul Feig's new movie, you know, putting together a nice little cast with Charlize and uh, Carrie Washington. I don't know if it's a movie for me, but whatever. Uh, Netflix nabbed the He's All That movie. That's the, the sort of revamp of She's All That, although it's Bring Back Matthew Lillard. That was sort of buried in the release or the announcement this week. Uh, it's I assume that he will be reprising his role, his goofy, charming role from, from She's All That. Every, I love Matt Lillard. Like, he's great. Um, Rob Delaney, the, the, the comic who I, I, I enjoy as a comic, he had a big week. Him and a bunch of other people I'd never really heard of. Maybe I'd heard of uh, Nick Kocher. Um, but they joined Judd Apatow's new, mo uh, new movie, The Bubble. And then Rob Delaney also joined Mission Impossible 7 and 8 along with Carrie Ellis. Like, fucking great cast that McQuarrie's got for, for Mission Impossible 7 and 8. I, I still don't feel the need to, to write up every black and white photo that he posts on his Instagram. Um, you know, like, I just don't understand. Like, that is stuff that is for Instagram, it is for social media. If it's a first look at Tom Cruise, you know, in, in the new Mission Impossible movie, that's a different thing, but like, you know, a photo of Henry Cerny or, or, or something like that, I, I just, that, that can be for social media. We don't need to make a news story out of that necessarily, even though it all performs very well on the site. Uh, but yeah, you know, McHugh, get, pulling together, like I just, between these guys and Shea Wiggum, like he just, he, he's got his eyes on the right character actors. and. You know me, I, I love character actors. I love going to the character actors awards ceremony every year. Um, Apple TV making moves this week, signing Natalie Portman and her company to a first look deal, as well as the Imagine Boys, Brian Grazer and Ron Howard. Uh, those are two significant pieces of talent and, and uh, you know, good, good producers with good eyes for material. So a Apple building itself a nice stable, adding all kinds of stars to its galaxy. Uh, the Safdie brothers announced they're doing a Paul Rubens documentary for HBO, I believe it is. Um, not like not like a huge Pee Wee Herman guy, you know, the Paul Rubens stuff. I, I think it's his, uh, you know, some of the arrests and, and things like that that are a little bit more interesting to me. It's funny that Paul Rubens, I think he'd, he'd written like a dark Pee Wee Herman movie for himself and wanted the, the Safties to direct it. And so he must have approached them. They're probably like, listen, we're not directing a dark Pee Wee movie, but we'd love to do a documentary on you if you'd be open to that. And, and maybe that maybe that's just how he saw the opportunity and took it. Maybe he came to them with this idea. I'm not quite sure, but uh, 
it, it is certainly intriguing. You know, the Safdies doing a movie about Paul Rubens, who has had one weird, wild life. Uh, Warner Brothers announced an Hour Man movie. I think that was Kroll's uh, scoop at Deadline. Beats me. Uh, don't know what Hour Man is. Never heard of it. Seems desperate. Don't care. Um, what else? I did want to back up to the HFPA thing real quick because I'm now remembering the, the this rap story that uh, my friend Beatrice Verhoeven broke with Sharon Waxman saying that like, you know, um, the HFPA had canceled press conferences from, from, you know, movies and shows with all black casts and stuff like that. Like, first of all, that's fucked up if it's true. Uh, like really f- fucked up. Although, you know, the, the article, they, they did sort of push back against that idea that, you know, I think that they said, well, actually Universal canceled this conference and this conference was canceled because of a scheduling thing. So, you know, I, I, like like a lot of things on the app, I think there's there's definitely some truth to it. I don't know if they nailed that story a hundred percent. But uh, again, like when they mentioned something like Queen and Slim, like if that is actually the case that, that we wanted to do a press conference for Queen and Slim, and the HFPA said we're not interested, we don't care. Then why is Universal we're bending over backwards to play the game for News of the World this year? You know, like, and, and that's the thing that, 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 that's that hypocritical thing. It's that, okay, well, clearly the people who spoke to the rap for this story are saying the HFPA is, is a racist organization, right? That they didn't allow us to camp, to do, to hold press, 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 uh, press conferences for our black films or shows. And yet they still went and played the game the next year because that's what they care about. They care about awards. It's just, you know, people only have a backbone and, and ethics and morals when it's convenient for them. Uh, so, so, you know, that rap story, whether it's 100% true or just 85% true, it is worth a read for sure. Um, all right. We got trailers, reviews, no mailbag questions this week. And by the way, if, you're, if you are an Insider Plus subscriber, your, your question will absolutely be read. Like I want to basically be getting mailbag questions from Insider Plus subscribers going forward. So please, uh, you know, whether you're a subscriber or not, you can email me, DM. Um, yeah. So we've got trailers, reviews coming up. Uh, I want to talk about a, a recent death as well before we end the show. Um, you know, let's let's do that first. Uh, we're, we're bidding RIP, rest in peace, rest in power to Yafet Kodo, who, and I think it's either Yafet Kodo or Yafet Kodo. I'm not quite sure how the pronunciation went on that one. I've always called him Yafet Kodo. Uh, I love this guy. Oh, always have. So he was, you know, Lieutenant Al Giardello on Homicide. That's how I sort of first fell for his work. I, you know, and that ran from 93 to 99. So I was nine years old until 15 years old, right? that Homicide was on the air. I loved Homicide. It was like my favorite show growing up, basically. I, obviously, I've been into this kind of stuff since I was a, a little boy. I remember skipping dances in sixth and seventh grade when I was 12 and 13 to stay home and watch episodes of Homicide on Friday nights. Um, and, you know, you know, my love for him on Homicide led me to watching Alien, where he's incredible as Parker, and Midnight Run, where he's, you know, Alonzo Mosley. And so anyways, last year, I, I, I have that character actors corner feature that I have not done in a year um, because I, I'm very picky about who I interview. That's why there's no up and comer of the month every month, although there will be one next, next month. Um, and so I reached out to his, his agent 
to try to set up this interview. And Yafakoto had been living in the Philippines. So he was kind of hard, a hard guy to reach. We had a couple of weeks of back and forth. Eventually he, he emailed me and was like, all right, I'm, I'm down to do the interview. We got to do it over Facebook Messenger. And you know, I was talking to a, a journalist friend of mine who works in the, the music, uh, in the music industry. And I was telling him like, so I turned down this interview with Yafakoto because I don't do interviews over Facebook Messenger or over email or text or anything. Uh, that's just not how I like to work. I like to have a conversation. Um, and it, you know, who knows how long the lag would be on Facebook Messenger or email, like when, you know, when's he gonna respond, that kind of thing. Uh, is he even the one typing or answering his questions? It's, it's that kind of stuff. So I, I don't do interviews like that. Uh, and we, you know, we basically left it like, okay, we'll circle back when he can, you know, access a phone or, you know, has more access to a phone, that kind of thing. And so, you know, his death hit me, not just because I was a fan who actually admired this guy, um, but because I was kicking myself for being a little bit of a, of a snooty prick, uh, you know, like guy that age, you know, probably not entirely well, given his history of alien encounters. He's written 21 books about his, his extraterrestrial encounters. Uh, so probably dealing with some kind of maybe mental health issues or something. I probably should have done the interview because, you know, sometimes you just got to take what, what, what you're given, uh, take what you can get. Um, so I, I, I lament the fact that I did not get a chance to, to talk to him. I, I will, you know, save the email that, that he sent me because uh, because it means a lot to me and yeah I'm, I'm gonna miss this guy because he, he he was like he was just fucking cool he was like a force of nature and he'd been around a long time and, and I'm sure he had some great stories I really like the story he actually told about uh, how he went to like an early rally or, or you know address from Martin Luther King Jr. and I think he was like looking up at MLK on the podium or whatever and he was like how do I get to be that guy how do I get to be a leader in my community and you know famous or whatever it was and Years later, he was in that same spot, I don't know, if with his daughter or something like that. And uh, basically, you know, a, 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 like a bus full of Japanese tourists pulled up and, and everybody ran out and started yelling alien, alien, alien at him. And he realized he had made it, uh, that he was known, you know, ar around the world and, and beloved to it to some extent. So that's that's my Yafakoto uh, bit, R.I.P. Um, trailers. We've got trailers for Four Good Days. I wrote. I just wrote that up for Collider. That's uh, Glenn Close and Mila Kunis, uh, like an addiction drama. Mila Kunis has to stay clean for four days so she can get an injection that'll prevent her from sort of feeling those, those uh, opiate cravings. And so Glenn Close has to keep a, a close eye on her. Uh, Glenn Close up for an Oscar, surprisingly, for, for Hillbilly Elegy. I thought she was good in Hillbilly, in Hillbilly Elegy. Most people just didn't care for the movie. Um, it is her eighth nomination. Maybe this one brings her ninth, although it did take uh, more than a year uh, for this thing to came, come out. It actually pre uh, premiered at Sundance 2020. Confronting a Serial Killer. This is another uh, it's a Stars docuseries from Joe Berlinger. I just wanted to say, Joe Berlinger, like I, I worshiped this guy growing up because of the Paradise Lost movies. Like they are, I don't think you can do better documentaries than, than that first Paradise Lost, to be honest. Um, but lately, I mean, he's just involved in almost every fucking docuseries I see, which speaks to a couple of things. One, he knows what I want to watch. Like we have the same taste in, in cases and crimes and that kind of thing. But the on the other hand, it's like, I don't know, man, maybe just like spend a couple of years really digging into one subject and dropping something like 
that, that is on the level of a Paradise Lost because the shows that he's done, and, uh, with the exception of Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich, which I thought was good, couldn't really get into the Mormons one. Uh, the Ted Bundy conversation, the Ted Bundy tapes thing was not good. Cecil Hotel one was bad, I, I thought. So it's just like Joe Berlinger, I don't want to get down on you, man, because I like you, but I would really like to see you spend a little bit longer on a project uh, that really has some teeth to it rather than just sort of toss out like the, the true crime docuseries every quarter. You know what I mean? Um, speaking of tr true crime, this is, it's, in a sense, it's a true crime. Uh, we got a, a trailer for The Last Cruise, which is an HBO documentary short. I nearly wrote this up for the site until I realized it is just a short. We don't really do do a lot of short coverage, let alone documentary short coverage, but it was terrifying. Like the footage from that cruise that, that where the coronavirus sort of had its, its outbreak and like half the passengers on the ship are, are sick with coronavirus and they're just trapped at sea for weeks on end. Seemed like a fucking nightmare, like a dream vacation that literally became a nightmare. Uh, so I definitely want to check that out when it hits HBO at the end of the month. We also got a new trailer for In the Heights during the Oscars, right? Was it? I think it was. Uh, and it looks great in the Heights. If I was Steven Spielberg, I'd be, I'd be shaking in my boots because I, I just have a feeling in the Heights is going to sort of be like the, the, the hit musical of the year. I mean, it's not to say that West side story won't make money or, or be a huge Oscar contender, but I, I feel like if it's West side story versus in the Heights at the Oscars, West side story is going to lose. And don't forget Dear Evan Hansen, like I said earlier, still coming out. It's going to be a big year for musicals coming. Uh, and, you know, maybe that's what people need because it's been a dark year. We need, we need some, some uplift and some joy. Uh, reviews. Okay. I'm trying to get this show done in the next seven minutes. Uh, After the Murder of Albert Lima. It is a documentary on Crackle. I know what you're thinking. It is Crackle. I don't have Crackle. I never want to have Crackle, blah, 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 blah. This was a great movie. Um, I, I was, you know, I was into it the whole way. It's not going to win any awards for its filmmaking. It's a little rough around the edges, but it just had a very compelling protagonist. It's like this guy whose father was murdered in Honduras and the courts have agreed, like your, your murderer is guilty and sentenced to 16 years, but we're not going to capture him. You, you've got to capture him and then we'll stick him in jail. So he brings two bounty hunters down to Honduras and, and tries to, to get this guy. It had a very... Um, powerful ending, I would say. It's from uh, executive produced by, by Meredith Vieira, produced by Gunpowder and Sky, a company I like. Um, so if you know if you have Crackle, track it down. At the very least, check out the trailer so you know what the hell I'm talking about. Uh, last night, I watched Operation Varsity Blues, the college admissions scandal documentary on Netflix that, that features a lot of recreations with Matthew Modine. I thought it was very, very engaging. Thought it was really good. Uh, learned some stuff that I didn't quite know about that whole uh, scandal and really felt for the the sailing coach uh, at Stanford who kind of got roped into it. I also watched The Last Blockbuster last night, which is a, a totally fun documentary on, on Netflix. Uh, and kind of funny because, you know, Netflix is what put Blockbuster out of business. And now The Last Blockbuster documentary is streaming on that platform. Uh, I wasn't aware of the Apollo 13 story, but apparently Netflix all started because of Apollo 13, uh, and which is a movie trying to get on the National Film Registry. I'm surprised it's not already there. Um, but basically, Reed Hastings like 
you know, rented Apollo 13 and, and uh, when he brought it back, he had like $40 in late fees. And that is sort of what inspired him to create the, the mailing movies sort of thing, uh, which Blockbuster ended up copying, but it just didn't, they didn't have the capital uh, that, that Netflix had because, you know, Summer Redstone and Viacom were sort of using Blockbuster, you know, taking the, the money that that company was making and putting it into Dish or whatever it was. I don't fucking know. Uh, it was just interesting. And then the last review is Calls, the new Apple series from Fede Alvarez, which I'm giving a big fat F. This was a complete and total waste of time. Uh, yes, you saw me write up the trailer and, and I thought it looked interesting. Um, I think a big mistake that this show made is that all the stories were interconnected. If you had just given me t- like 15, 10 different stories that were really good and, and uh, instead it's like the same story like 10 fucking times, um, it, was, it was so bad. I could not wait for it to end. And, I, and, and, I, and it does keep you watching. Like I, I wanted to know well, what is the big thing that's tying everything together in the last episode um, because, you know, there are three or four episodes where it's like, oh, they're actually calling back things from that one and things from that one. All the episodes are like 13 to 21 minutes or so. So, you know, they're not going to kill you. Um, but man, so disappointed that it was just, it's just watching a screensaver for two and a half hours. I mean, uh, we listen to podcasts, like when we're focused in our cars and, and things like that, we don't like stare at our phone watching the, the podcast you know, button, you know, the, the thing go by to show us how much time has elapsed. And that's basically what this was with some bright colors on the screen. It was so stupid. Uh, that is going to do it for the show. We're going to end the show on this note. A lot of anti-Asian violence happening in this country. And, and I don't know if it's, you know, that, that everybody just needs somebody to pick on. Everybody needs like a, a scapegoat or something. People are upset about the coronavirus and are, you know, Trump supporters who, who have heard it called the China virus. This shit is crazy. Okay. Asians, Asian Americans, there's American as you and I, it's the same way Minari is like the most American fucking movie of the year. This violence has to stop. There shouldn't be violence against anybody, but clearly it's become some sort of epidemic against, against Asians and Asian Americans in this country. Uh, it, it has sickened me. So like this guy that shot up, uh, you know, the, the massage parlors or the spas in, in Georgia, like give this fucking guy the death penalty. What is this? Like he had a bad day shit. Like I just never heard cops like sympathize with a, a mass murder, a spree killer like this before. They're trying to rationalize it. I, I'm seeing new news videos of people, you know, waiting behind corners for, for old Asian people to walk past so they can pummel on the head. Like what is going on? It is absolutely disgusting if you know anyone who who has done anything like this turn them into the police if you know anyone thinking about doing things like this urge them to stop and if you see asians or asian americans being harassed fucking do something step in try to defuse the situation before you know it escalates uh i don't know maybe even a pro I mean, this feels weird to say, but like maybe even approach an older Asian man or woman if it's late at night, say, hey, can I help walk you to your car? Make sure you get there safe. Like, it's just fucking sad. It's a sad time in this country and I feel terrible about what is happening. Um, Yeah, so hopefully, hopefully there are brighter days ahead. I mean, I certainly feel it with Biden at the helm. It doesn't feel 
as toxic when, you know, without Trump on Twitter every day, like things are they're definitely calming down, but it doesn't mean that the problems just go away ov overnight. So uh, we all have to be vigilant and uh, let's keep our, our Asian friends and, and neighbors safe. Uh, that'll do it. That's it for the show. Thank you for watching the Snyder Cut or listening. Thank you to everyone who's subscribed to Insider Plus. I do appreciate it. You're a part of a, a groundbreaking experiment of sorts. And uh, I'm honored. So everybody have a great rest of your Thursday. A wonderful weekend. Stay safe. Keep wearing your masks. Vaccinations are coming. Don't worry. Take care. Bye.